Hello, Bill Boyd here with the North Carolina Study Center Daily Devotion. Uh, we've been talking about food a little bit, and I was reminded of Exodus 16, where the Israelites were brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand uh, after the plagues uh, on Egypt, uh, after crossing through the Red Sea, and they get out into the wilderness and there's nothing to eat, and uh, it's not necessarily a pretty situation in terms of their uh, griping and complaining, but the Lord sends them uh, food by way of manna, this curious substance that falls like dew and is available in the morning to be gathered up and eaten for that day and only that day. Uh, any that's hoarded turns bad. And so uh, Israel's learning to live day by day by faith. Um, and of course, later on, Jesus will teach his disciples, including us, to pray, uh, give us this day and this day alone our daily bread. Uh, in similar fashion, Matthew chapter 15, 15 Jesus is teaching and uh, his disciples uh, are with him. And uh, Jesus says, look, I have to his disciples, I have compassion on this, these people because they've been with me now three days and they've had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so this is where um, this phrase uh, loaves and fishes comes from as the disciples go out and find seven loaves and a few fish and that becomes food according to Jesus's blessing for 4,000 men besides women and children Matthew tells us of course when Jesus says that he's concerned these people have had no food for three days and he's unwilling to send them away hungry um, it's not going to be long before it's Jesus who actually has no food for three days after his death. And he does this because he's unwilling uh, for those made in his image to go away hungry, unwilling for his people to faint on the way. And so Jesus goes without food, so to speak, for three days and then rises from the grave in order that we might be nourished by his very body and blood and live for all eternity. I bring these things to you because and maybe introduced you or maybe reminded you of a book called The Supper of the Lamb by Robert Farrar Capon, a chef and Episcopal priest. The book was published in 1967. And Capon, as he writes the book, which is part cookbook, part wisdom literature, really, he always has things like Exodus 16 and Matthew 15 in mind as he goes through it. And there's an incredible amount of wisdom. It's the kind of literature that I love to read because it, it um, I guess it uh, affirms our life of faith in Christ and also affirms that our Redeemer is also the creator who calls us to uh, creative and wise living. And we live in a time right now where we've been called uh, in a very particular way, in a special way, I think, to uh, creative and wise living. Uh, these day-by-day, uh, faith-by-faith, step-by-step way of living, including uh, even the very basic question, all right, what might we eat tonight out of the cupboard so that we don't have to go to the store? Because going to the store um, is a little riskier than it once was in all kinds of ways. And so we're asking, well, um, Lord, what, what might you show us from our own refrigerator that might multiply 
into a meal, uh, at least this evening, and maybe more than one meal. Uh, I'm going to read to you just a couple of pages from Robert Ferrar Capon. Uh, this is chapter three called The Burnt Offering, and it introduces us to the whole subject of the book, which is one dish called Lamb for Eight, uh, four times, meaning uh, it's a dish that feeds eight people with lamb, but he prepares it in a way that it can actually be served four different times, so it actually feeds not eight, but 32 different people. Lamb for eight persons, four times, is not simply a recipe. It is a way of life. It does indeed produce 32 servings from a single leg of lamb, but at the same time, it opens the door to a school of cooking that has produced some of the greatest dishes in the world. The fundamental approach of this school involves the wholesale and deliberate manufacture of leftovers. The creation of all of one's dishes from carefully pre-carved and pre-cooked meats. It insists that there is a sharp distinction to be observed between ordinary and extraordinary eating, between for real or common and festal dining. To the extraordinary or festal cuisine are relegated all roasts, joints, chops, and steaks. In other words, the expensive cuts of meat. And in general, any uh, thing that is large enough to be carved at the table. To the for real cuisine belong all the rest. The dishes which take little and cut it up small and make it go a long way. The reason for the distinction is obvious. Economy. A roast or joint presented whole to a table of hungry diners will hardly survive the ordeal. <laughs> Meat lavishly presented demands proportionate consumption. Uh, even with a carver of surpassing skill, you will be lucky if you serve eight people once from a whole leg of lamb. Which brings us to the first principle of the for real or ordinary cuisine, which is this, never serve anybody a whole anything. <laughs> I'll repeat that, never serve anybody a whole anything. As you can see, this is rooted in the hard-earned wisdom of the ages. It goes back to that primeval cook who first discovered the culinary version of Parkinson's law, appetite rises to meet food supply. This person found that her family would eat a whole leg of mutton as readily as a half, and with very little additional gratitude. Accordingly, she cooked the leg in two installments, seasoned it highly, sauced it liberally, and advised them to keep the gratitude coming, unless perhaps they would like her to try quartering it. <laughs> she won, of course. The second principle of the for real cuisine is an extension of the first. If you can possibly do so, contrive to make even a part of anything come to the table twice. In its pure form, of course, this can be used as a cloak for a miserly disposition. It can condemn a family to a perpetual diet of leftover meat and last season's tomatoes. But then, any principle applied with sheer consistency borders on madness. In its more temperate form, the second axiom serves not to diminish, but to extend the pleasures of the table. 
A chicken, for example, will see the inside of your soup pot, not only after it has been served, but before. You will first make a soup from the whole, or only slightly dismembered bird, and on that day your family will taste no chicken meat at all. Why do you think matzo balls were invented? You will serve them only the au jus, the soup, the soup, and not even all of that since a little of it must be set aside to make tomorrow's sauce. But when the day of the bird itself finally arrives, your refusal to serve it the first time around becomes a crown of glory. For what you have to work with is not run-of-the-mill leftovers, two wings and a back, but a whole, moist, tender bird, ready to give itself liberally to any one of a hundred ways of preparing it. The for real cuisine, you see, was the poor man's invention out of necessity, but it is light years away from poor cooking. The poor man may envy the rich their houses, their lands, and their cars, but he rarely envies them their table. The rich man may dine festally, but unless he is an exceptional lover of being, unless he has the soul of a poet and a saint, his feasts are often only single. They delight the palate, but not the intellect. They are greeted with a deluxe but mindless attention. Uh, what was it, dear? Sirloin or porterhouse? Every dish, though, in the for real cuisine, provides a double or even treble delight. Not only is the body nourished and the palate pleased, the mind is intrigued by the triumph of ingenuity over scarcity, by the making of slight materials into a considerable matter. A man can do worse than be poor. He can miss altogether the sight of the greatness of small things. The Lord bless us, the greats, uh, especially during this time, to not miss the sight of the greatness of small things, uh, whether that small thing is the cross of Christ Jesus or whether that small thing is very particular time given to us for very particular opportunities right now. The Lord bless you and yours as you gather around your table. Bye-bye.